This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm Jennifer Jewell. Melody Overstreet is an Iranian-American poet, artist, printer, and educator. She double majored in studio art and psychology at the University of California, Santa Cruz, where she focused on printmaking, public art, and peace studies. She has exhibited her work locally as well as internationally. Her work has also been featured in the publications Seed Broadcast, Inverness Almanac, and Chinkapin Quarterly. She was instrumental in initiating Santa Monica College's Organic Learning Garden, a space for cross-curricular engagement, the hands-on growing of food, seed saving, and community building. Melody teaches book arts, mentors to students, and serves as an advisor to garden, environmental, and community involvement committees. She is a master gardener of California and a certified California naturalist through the UC California Naturalist Program and UCSC's Arboretum. Melody has worked with her students and colleagues to develop a rooftop garden featuring edible, medicinal, and dye plants for deepening our consciousness about the ways in which plants and their pollinators are interwoven into and sustain our tenuous lives. Her educational approach emphasizes the importance of connection to our origins through place, community, and seeds. Melody speaks to us with grace about the culture of plant and land-based art and the crafting of pigments, inks, dyes, and watercolors directly from the plants and soils all around us in a way that interweaves her art with her worldview and ethics. Melody will be on the campus of California State University, Chico, on Saturday, May 26th to teach a workshop on naturally crafted, locally sourced pigments for the Friends of the Chico State Herbarium. Melody joins us today via Skype from her home and garden in Santa Cruz. Welcome, Melody. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for the warm welcome. It's an honor to be here. I want to start, Melody, with having you describe for us your current plant-based work in life, whether that's through your art, your education, or your own home gardening practice. Thank you. Yes, my work with plants uh, takes many different tributaries I and, and various expressions. I currently work with plants in a number of capacities. Um, I'm learning from them constantly and daily. I have a front yard garden in a shared house that I live in, and I love to garden and tend to that space. That's an intimate space that I've returned to again and again. And we're surrounded in this particular house by an automotive shop and a loading dock for a grocery store. So we have a, a lot of industrial sounds around us. Um, but for one, dropping in and really connecting with the plants that grace us in our garden, those that arise on their own accord or that we tend to and cultivate have been great teachers for me. And they serve many, many purposes in our lives. Um, and of course are much older than us too. They've been on the planet <laughs> longer than we all have as a species. Um, so I'm always in awe and in reverence of their ways. I'm currently tending to a fermented indigo vat and exploring the realm 
of plants as providers of color. They definitely provide inspiration and companionship, um, joy, inspiration, and story. The beginning of my work with plants started in the form of the food, <laughs> most fundamentally. I learned from my grandfather early on that the earth is where all of our nourishment comes from, and we have a great responsibility to take care of that which takes care of us. I have a early memory of my grandfather holding rose blossoms in his hand, being careful not to pierce his skin with the thorns, respecting the thorn, and inviting me to take a smell of the rose. And I remember, and I grew up in Los Angeles on Tongva territory, and the city's covered in concrete. And for me to have an experience with a plant that has such significant role in my family and in my culture really awakened my senses and gave me a, a great deep respect for plants as food, as medicine. Plants have played a very important role in my life, helping me to heal my body and mind and connect and reorient myself as a human being, um, really find my place on the earth and in, in this place as though I belong here. <laughs> hmm. And so tell me a little bit about your grandfather and this interaction with the rose, which is such a beautiful image. Uh, is this your maternal or paternal grandfather? This is my maternal grandfather, Nejatola Bibian. And um, I grew up, was very fortunate to grow up with my grandparents in home. My Persian Iranian grandparents, um, Jewish from <laughs> um, the time that I was born. They were primary caretakers for me, along with my parents and my great extended family. I do feel I grew up in a small village of Iran, <laughs> even though I was in a pocket of Los Angeles. I grew up deep in the food traditions of our culture, eating the traditional stews that my grandmother and grandfather would both prepare, beautiful rice dishes, and learned early on that rose, for instance, is a plant that is very important for us. And though it was never stated, rose is a very important plant for us, I come, came to know this plant as present in our desserts. Um, my grandmother would grate an apple, and she would pour a little bit of rose water over the grated apple. And this would be our go-to summer dessert. And it was so cooling and so refreshing, would uplift our spirits. It's also a plant that, and the water of the plant, the floral water, is present at weddings and in funerals. Mm -hmm. I have seen my family buried in rose water and rose petals are scattered where the body is to be buried. Hmm. And so the, the gardening tradition is clearly interdependent with the, the cultural traditions and the food ways traditions. Were your parents or your grandparents who lived with you, were they active gardeners where you lived in Los Angeles, Melody? That's a great question. Uh, my grandfather was the gardener of the family. Mm. My grandmother is a wonderful maternal force and recently turned 100 mm. on February 2nd. Mm. And she was a great caretaker and carried on the food traditions and brought forth 
um, shared the, how the various preparations of gourmet sabzi, of our particular stews, and the way that we love to cook the jeweled rice and the various herbs and plant combinations that go together to make a delightful feast. She would always be cooking large pots of food on the stove for the whole family to share in. Um, my grandfather was a, a truck driver in Iran, a produce truck driver, and I think <laughs> became very familiar with plants as he in Iran was often away from the family, but grew very accustomed to bring various beautiful foods home to share and nourish his family um, when he would return. And so that love and respect for where all these plants are coming from, the places that he would visit, uh, the foods that he would learn about that were part of a vast area throughout Iran um, was something he shared a great passion for with his own children. Um, but my, both of my parents were not big time gardeners. Um, both of my parents took more of a professional life in um, transitioning and assimilating to American culture um, and trying to provide for a family and, and make it an immigration transition work. Um, but my grandfather really introduced me to the graces of the garden and, and the elegance therein. And I watched the way he really gently tended to soil and he planted some tremendous fig trees that bared exquisite fruit um, that were from Iran. Mm. <laughs> and so a way of bringing home home to this new land um, that's, of course, not new. This is uh, also a land that contains immense history, um, pain and loss, and also longing and beauty, the complexity of all the dynamics um, in any given place mm -hmm. are, are something that I feel in every place that I am. Mm -hmm. So you were born here? I was born here. I was born and raised in Los Angeles. And your parents came, uh, or your mother came over at, at what point did your mother come? Did your grandparents come with her? Did your parents meet there or here? My parents met here. My grandparents were, of course, born and raised, and my mother was born and raised in Iran. Um, and Im they immigrated here. My mother has seven siblings, and they all immigrated here around 1979 mm. due to the political turmoil and revolution. Mm -hmm. And um, my mother met my father actually in the Mojave Desert. Um, they tell different stories. Um, <laughs> the way parents do. <laughs> the way parents do. <laughs> um, and so one of my one of the things that I I find so beautiful is your um, your appreciation for the not only the culture your family came from, but also the culture in which you found yourself once you were here, whether that be, you know, a, a current American culture or an ancient and historic uh, native culture. Was that something that you were raised with, Melody, or is that something that you have um, gained a knowledge and appreciation for over time? Well, I am not native to the lands where I was born and raised mm -hmm. and live, and I am indigenous to a region that's not here. Um, 
And I have a profound respect for the various nations whose um, original territory this is. And I've been grateful to have many profound teachers who have brought me back into my body in, in a very profound way, um, who have shared various lessons from their own lineages and from their own understandings and interpretations mm-hmm. of this meaning of life and this meaning of death and our work here in this time. Um, some of those teachers include Rowan White, mm-hmm. who's an incredible seed saver and fantastic teacher um, who really has shared a lot with me and with many people to really open our minds to what has occurred on this land here and how what is our inherent responsibility as human beings mm-hmm. um, within a reciprocal environment mm-hmm. that that really takes care of every aspect of us. Um, so I'm not at all interested in appropriating that culture. And of course, indigenous culture is profoundly diverse too. There's no single way to summarize what that is, but mm-hmm. I, I do appreciate the various um, complex teachings that I've, I've learned from various teachers of mine. Yeah. Um, Indigo for me, for instance, is by my great teacher, Abubakar Fofana, who is indigenous to Mali in Africa. And he is tremendously knowledgeable. And I think for me, it's really important in this time as a visitor on these lands to really appreciate and express honest um, recognition of the adversity that indigenous peoples have faced on this sacred land and how since the initiation of colonization, the land has transformed in in major destructive ways. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's a, a complete parallel um, between a uh, disrespecting of the cultures of this land and where we find ourselves in American culture now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of, well, there are so many rich threads right there, but having, you know, having a sense of your own lineage from wherever we all came from, because most of us came from somewhere else and are here, and the sort of the negative impacts that has had, but also the incredibly beautiful um, similarities or reflections. So you talking about your grandfather holding the rose and this resonating and representing your one part of your Um, lineage and its history and the relationship of plants to this history is so beautifully mirrored in so many cultures. And Mm -hmm. that connection of common ground seems to me, which is what I find in the garden, to be such a, a source of foundational starting point for working towards a better future than Mm -hmm. destruction and appropriation. In my Scotch-Irish-Celtic lineage, the rose or the willow have so much um, importance and history and story and purpose, um, Mm -hmm. and yet they do here as well, and they certainly may in the Iranian experience. And the rose, you just think about how 
widely spread that botanical plant family is and what importance it holds in almost every culture I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is really, I think, plants being older than us and wherever mm-hmm. we're from, I do view plants as an equalizer. There's something we all hold in common yeah. and none of us would exist without them. Yeah. They provide everything for us. And I think um, the more I learn and the more I see all the diverse ways in which they generously provide everything we need, um, the more in awe and reverence I am of plants. Mm -hmm. They're really profound teachers um, in this life. (laughs) Yeah, they sure are. How old are you? I am 31. And how old do you think you were with that in that interaction with your grandfather and the rose? When I was in the interaction with my grandfather and the rose, I was probably six. Mm, And I remember in all my formative years how he would take care of all the plants Mm -hmm. (laughs) he was tending to and harvesting figs and lessons from what fruit is bared. Um, He would harvest two big bowls of figs off of two trees in a small little circular cut out of concrete in our backyard in LA Mm. and when the bowl was harvested he would give one fig to me and he would say okay now go and take these two bowls next door to our neighbors and thank them for playing with you and I remember thinking but these figs are awfully delicious are you sure you want me to take them right over and his lesson affirmed this deeper profound memory of the value and importance of generosity Mm. and centering that. And here as the plant is extending its generosity, practice the same. Take it all, share it all with your neighbor. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Today we're speaking with Iranian-American artist Melody Overstreet, whose poetry and artistry and educational bent tends toward the plant and land-based, and is deeply informed by the passions and codes of conduct shared with her by, among other teachers, her Persian grandparents. Her relating to us the story of the rose her grandfather shared with her, and the long legacy of rose symbology running through the Persian culture, of rose water accented sliced apples in summer, and rose water being a part of both wedding and funeral ceremonies struck me as beautiful and powerful narratives and education all being held for her and us in this chalice of plant life and plant knowledge. The lessons of generosity and reciprocity in the two bowls of ripe, shapely fig fruit her grandfather had her share with her neighbors as thanks for their companionship Can you not see this small girl, these bowls of deeply colored, soft fruit, and the delight of the neighbors gifted with such? Sometimes it takes hearing this kind of truth articulated in someone else's tangible, emotional, and formational story to recognize the universal truth of what came to each of us in this way. Whether it was in passing and brief, or it was consistently reinforced and in-depth. 
When we move to the meta level of thinking about how we think about these things, why are roses associated with love? Why is mint associated with summer freshness and clean breath? Why are conifers associated with winter holidays and evergreen hopes, to name a few very common cultural messages? We can then move to why this is so. In this expanded awareness alone, we can learn a lot more about what lessons were transmitted to us through these often nonverbal exchanges. And we can decide how we want to alter and pass forward such messages ourselves. We'll be back to speak more with Melody after a break. Stay with us. So happy midway through May. My daughter and I are going to go to the workshop on nature-crafted inks and watercolor paints, developing a local color palette at Chico State Herbarium with Melody on Saturday, May 26th. And I'm super excited, for one thing, because I find this kind of meaningful crafting so satisfying. It's a great addition to my life, which is generally spent immersed in words, written and spoken. To be just hands-on and tactile, like gardening, is good for me. And we all know that learning new things and trying on new skills, that's good for us. It shakes our brains and bodies up. It re-energizes them. It lays down new neural connections for expanding our own insights and intuition and connections. Also, I love the natural color concept in the world, and we've heard from wonderful color work guests on the program over the past few seasons. Sasha Dewar, the dye artist, as well as the weaver, Sandy Goulart, with the Flax and Linen Cooperative. I was inspired by both of their stories and plant journeys, but I think maybe something about larger scale elaborate knowledge of dyeing or weaving fabrics and making clothes intimidated me some. And to be honest, I'm not a clothes or shoes person. They're simply not a currency of choice for me. But paints, inks, getting my hands on a mortar and pestle and then into the dirt or holding a plant and summoning a paint or ink, for some reason, this lights me up. For those of you who are with me on Facebook or Instagram, I'm sure to let you know how it goes there at the workshop with stories and pictures. Now back to our conversation with Melody. This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. Today we're speaking with Iranian-American artist Melody Overstreet, whose poetry and artistry and educational bent tends toward the plant and land-based, and is deeply informed by the passions and codes of conduct shared with her by, among other teachers, her Persian grandparents. Her relating to us the story of the rose her grandfather shared with her, and the long legacy of rose symbology running through the Persian culture, of rose water accented sliced apples in summer, and rose water being a part of both wedding and funeral ceremonies, struck me as beautiful and powerful narratives, and education, all being held for her, and us, in this chalice of plant life and plant knowledge. The lessons of generosity and reciprocity in the two bowls of ripe, shapely fig fruit her grandfather had her share with her neighbors as thanks for their companionship. Can you not see this small girl, these bowls of deeply colored, soft fruit, 
and the delight of the neighbors gifted with such, sometimes it takes hearing this kind of truth articulated in someone else's tangible, emotional, and formational story to recognize the universal truth of what came to each of us in this way. Whether it was in passing and brief, or it was consistently reinforced and in-depth. When we move to the meta level of thinking about how we think about these things, why are roses associated with love? Why is mint associated with summer freshness and clean breath? Why are conifers associated with winter holidays and evergreen hopes, to name a few very common cultural messages? We can then move to why this is so. In this expanded awareness alone, we can learn a lot more about what lessons were transmitted to us through these often nonverbal exchanges. And we can decide how we want to alter and pass forward such messages ourselves. Now back to our conversation with Melody. How long have you been in this current little garden that you're in now, surrounded by the loading dock and the other, the other industrial sounds? And give us just a little um, visual tour of that garden. I have been in collaboration with this garden for a little over five years now. Um, like many, I'm a renter here and I love collaborating with my partner, Vincent Waring, in the garden. And um, one of the beautiful things about sharing a space is that prior to us moving in, one of our great friends, Aura, lived in this home. And she was also an avid gardener. And so there are trees, for instance, a lemon tree that she planted in her time, as well as two fig trees, which felt like a great welcoming <laughs> <laughs> um, when we arrived was... Um, these trees that she's planted are now bearing abundant fruit for us. And in the time that we've been able to carry on the work of tending to the garden, really what I see us tending to is the soil. And as we tend to the soil, that which springs forth every season becomes more and more lush and joyful and abundant. Uh, we have an array of friends <laughs> growing in the garden um, one of the plants that was also here that has since deeply rooted itself and we've started to really save seeds from um, in reverence of is, is a white sage plant. Mm. Um, that is a plant that has been over harvested um, and part of its traditional history of use has been appropriated mm -hmm. inappropriately, <laughs> so to say. And um, so to have that plant already established here and to come to just witness it and not harvest from it, but just observe its life cycles um, has been a great gift. I'm going to stop and I want to okay. explore this just a little bit because okay. I think this is a source of great um, mystery and confusion for some people. So the use of the white sage is a well-known, well-documented, sacred plant for many of the indigenous native peoples of California and the range of the white sage. So it's almost the whole California floristic province. When we say it's been over-harvested, we are specifically talking about 
being over harvested in the wild for people to make commercial or financial gain off of creating maybe not heartfelt intentional smudge sticks or or burning um, incense wands that you will see sold in in various places. So I think this is a great source of interest, this idea of cultural appropriation and inappropriate use of it. As a native plant gardener, I am in love with the white sage. It's a fantastic pollinator plant. And I always feel and recommend that people find a reputable source for buying a plant in order to then grow it in your own garden so you can harvest from it in a respectful, appropriate, and home-based kind of human scale rather than commercial scale way. And that this to me feels not as an appropriation but as a respectful um repetition or or learning an extension of this this knowledge that came before us talk about why you wouldn't harvest from your own home plant and 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 just some of those issues for you and how you how you work them out for yourself well i am not an expert on this i um, think there are a lot more people who are far more um, educated on this who could speak more articulately mm-hmm. than myself. I would say that it's not that I would never harvest from the white sage plant. It's that in being new to the garden and being newly introduced to the plant, I noticed that the plant, even in the garden, in in this space, was sometimes struggling along. Mm. And it was a part of me to just really get to know the plant. And for me, when I do harvest from plants, I have learned from various wonderful herbalists over time to ask permission. Mm -hmm. One of my great herbal teachers is Eden Clearbrook, who is uh, based in Point Reyes Station. And um, she's one of the great teachers who's taught me about asking permission. And so for me, it's about a reverent waiting. And it's about understanding when the plant is in the process of forming seed, that's a sacred moment for the plant in and of itself. Mm. The plant in and of itself desires to fulfill its life cycle. Mm. And if I am to harvest, what is the respectful way to do that? Culturally, as well as for the ecology and the life of yeah. the plant itself. Yeah. I think this is such a, an important conversation. And, and I agree with you. I, I think there it's a layered one. And there are people who will speak to it from very different expert perspectives that are important. But I think just even being aware of the conversation is so important because there is some fine line between respectfully learning or studying another culture, respectfully sharing our own culture with others, and where the line between learning and appreciating versus appropriating, it's its a hard line to know. And maybe it just comes back to our own hearts and intentions. I don't know. Yes, I'm not sure how to answer that. I think I would ask the various indigenous communities that um, we are neighbors and friends with. When you come, when you think about your own culture or the Persian aspects of your culture, how, how does that feel to you? 
I feel at home in my own culture and, and the plants that have long been in use in our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, fenugreek, for instance, as a great aid for new mothers who are hoping to bring on more milk to nourish their child with. Mm-hmm. Um, plants have been in the fold of every culture because all peoples uh, depend on plants for existence, mm-hmm. truly. Um, and I do feel that for me, growing up in Los Angeles, there's a path of discovery of my own culture that's ongoing as well. I didn't grow up in the territory of my ancestors. And for me, I feel as though I want to be very respectful of the beings, all beings, seen and unseen, whose traditional lands um, I live and survive on. Mm-hmm. We, we've taken a lovely path to get to this question because, of course, part of what I very much want to explore with you is your current artistic work. What set you on your path to what you do now? And describe for listeners your current artistic educational and expressive pathway, Melody. I have a great passion for education. And I think and reflect every day on what it is we're exactly doing for the young people of this generation and future generations. Um, I have worked in a number of formal educational environments. um, And some of what happens in those spaces is deeply beautiful. And some of what that happens in those spaces for me is a deep distraction from the value-centered place that I would hope that all young people would enter into the world. Mm. Um, So for me, I have found a space with a lot more freedom to create a personal curriculum that is about inquiry and a love of learning as I'm learning all the time. Um, For me as an artist, I am working on a number of projects, one of which um, was born out of a place of grief um, in certain transitions recently, is writing a children's book. And the children's book is one that I'm illustrating as well as writing and will be self-publishing from a press that I've started uh, shortly. And I'm very excited about that project as it's a way to move the lessons that I wish were within the fold of our larger educational system. Are it's we... for in response to my longings for the, what education does in, in connection with our youth. Do you have a working title for the book? I do. The working title is Water's Song. And it is a book about water from water's perspective. And do you have a hoped-for release date? I am still in the works on those details, but I'm hoping that sometime in early August. Do you have a name for your press? Reciprocal Field Press. And are you doing the original artwork for the illustrations in the book? Yes. And are you using your artistic methods and materials for those illustrations? 
I have been gifted some ground lapis lazuli, which is not from nearby. It is from a region in Afghanistan. Um, and I will be making my own watercolor from that lapis lazuli to paint the images with. Um, and that is tied to a lot of the explorations um, I've been engaged in recently as an educator and as a student of life is how does my artistic practice engage with and either honor or, or add in a destructive way to this earth and environment that I care so much about. Mm. Um, and so what responsibility do I have if I'm doing a painting of a landscape, if those materials have been profoundly mined from the earth, what is the consequence of that? And am I communicating love <laughs> through that medium? And so I'm, I'm in the process of exploring what that means and the, the ethical questions in relationship to that as I navigate um, the sphere of materials as well. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. We're speaking today with artist and educator Melody Overstreet. Melody will be on the campus of CSU Chico leading a workshop for the Friends of the Chico State Herbarium on Saturday, May 26th. More details and registration information for this workshop are in this week's episode notes at cultivatingplace.com. While you're there, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode of The Conversations. If you need help subscribing and downloading, send us a note at the website and we'll walk you through it. We'll be back after a break to hear more about Melody's work. Stay with us. Hi, it's Jennifer again. A few words called out to me as I listened again to my conversation with Melody. And I do, in fact, listen to each conversation multiple times, striving to hear, to see, to feel for what I may have missed. In this process, words jump out at me in a sort of stream of consciousness manner, and I write them in my notebook with a very sharp pencil. I then reread all the notes at the end, and I circle the words or threads of importance that I see in overview. Here were my words for this conversation. Resilience, specifically coming from that abundant fig tree of Melody's grandfathers, which she described as growing out of a tiny hole cut into the not very generous concrete. Two other words were generosity and reciprocity, which occur throughout the conversation over and over again. The circle of regeneration embodied in Melody tending to the soil in her small rental home shared with three housemates and her craftsman partner, Vincent Waring. They're kind of shoehorned, as she describes it, between an auto shop and a grocery store loading dock, and yet even still, the land is rewarding Melody and the other gardeners there with ever more lushness and health in return for their care. And finally, ceremony. I kept coming back to the rose water and the wedding and the funeral ceremonies and the blessing of these important thresholds with the fragrant floral water. Where do we and how do we make more ceremony in our lives and gardens and nature loving to acknowledge and embody these concepts ourselves? 
I'd love to hear back from you all on this. If you have thoughts or stories to share, please send them by email through the contact page at cultivatingplace.com or write them in the comments of this episode's post on Instagram or Facebook. And if you like this episode and feel moved, share it with every single plant-loving person you can think of on this planet. Because together, we as gardeners make a difference in the world, in what we value and how we too embody and model these values forward. Now back to our conversation with Melody. This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. We're back after a break to speak more with Santa Cruz-based Iranian-American artist and educator Melody Overstreet. Much of the foundation of Melody's approach and philosophy keeps recalling for me the work of Dr. Robin Kimmerer, a scientist, a writer, a professor, a poet, a mother, and a gardener, not placed in order of importance. In her book, Braiding Sweetgrass, Robin shares with us so compellingly personal stories of her life and experiences interwoven with her understanding of science, of her Potawatomi heritage and teachings, of her mothering, of her gardening and land tending, and she pulls and welcomes us as anyone's from anywhere into a shared respect and admiration for indigenous ways of knowing and the critically important universal benefits of them to us as a planet in deep need. If you've not yet had the time to read Braiding Sweetgrass, I'm recommending it now, and I couldn't recommend it more highly. Her storied presentation of an ethics based in a culture and economy of reciprocity, in a democracy of species, of being citizens of the planet, and of the honorable harvest. I think you'll enjoy and be deepened for this reading. We're back now to speak more with artist Melody Overstreet about her own culturally informed reciprocity and respect-based art and education plant work. Welcome back. That brings me to your your ongoing work as an educator in public settings. So you you do nature craft centered workshops through the University of California Santa Cruz's Arboretum through their local associated Cabrillo College Extension through the Santa Cruz Natural History Museum and you emphasize this very idea of connection to our origins through place, through community, and through seed. You mentioned the lapis lazuli and this gift and your your very conscious and mindful use of it. Describe like what do these things mean in action in a workshop. So for instance, you're you're coming to the California State University Chico campus in um, in about a month, and you'll be leading a workshop on natural pigments and dyes. So walk us through a class or a workshop and what you're trying to get get to and get us to be with you on as attendees. My understanding of the role of an artist and an educator in society is to help bring people into reality. And reality is a connection point Um, an orientation, an understanding of who we are, of our place in things. 
Um, so with these nature craft workshops and the, the upcoming workshop, I'll be teaching um, with you in Chico, as well as one we have upcoming at the Santa Cruz Natural History Museum on May 12th. What I am most excited about the workshops that I will be teaching is that they are an invitation for connection. And they're an invitation for engaging hard, uncomfortable questions. Um, what some of the things we'll be looking at in the workshop is the practice of extraction. And what does that actually look like? The concept of there is no away. So that which we create, is it something we can hold on to all aspects of? We will be exploring how much is present in a regenerative and renewable way within the landscapes that we're in. In the places that we are, how can we tend to the soils and how can we tend to the plants and honor their lives and perhaps assist them by saving seeds and scattering, disseminating those seeds in thoughtful ways so that we have abundant resources for learning and for practicing and engaging our own humility and, and, and engaging our artistic practices as well in thoughtful ways. In the workshop at Chico or at Santa Cruz coming up, I understand the concepts that you're getting at. Walk us through the practical specifics of that. What would someone coming to such a workshop expect to find and do very specifically? So in a workshop, we will be looking at local sources of color. One example is a common plant oxalis, which is considered in some places to be a weed. Mm -hmm. And we will be looking at how the harvested flowers of that specific plant yield a really profound color that can be used as a dye or as a watercolor paint or an ink. We will be working with plants specifically with our hands, um, learning about local abundant resources of color. We will be looking at sites where pigment has perhaps eroded and has fallen to the ground. And if there's an abundant presence, how a little bit can go a really long way and learning about the, the vibrant array of colors that are located in each place. I think we're also going to be working with soils and, and rocks, and you're going to teach us how to grind and then create a sample card of local colors. Is that right? We will be hand-making our own watercolors from local abundant pigment sources, and all with rocks, minerals, pigments, plants, flowers, fallen fruits from trees, how all of these can really provide rich, abundant resources for us. We will be hand grinding and using all nature-based mediums, materials, mm -hmm. for preparing our own watercolor paints, as well as inks. And each participant will take away a sample of those inks and a sample card with an array of all the various diverse colors that are present in any moment, in any place. And wh what kind of paper will we be using? We will be using a handsome watercolor paper, a handmade paper that really readily absorbs the water. I separately teach classes in handmade paper making. Mm. And recently through the UCSC Arboretum, co-taught with Linda Anderson a class on paper making from plants. And we looked a lot at what are some plants that perhaps are really growing 
aggressively as invasives within our regions. Mm -hmm. One example for the region that I'm in, the Amamutsin Territory, also known as Santa Cruz, that region has an enormous amount of pampas grass, Mm -hmm. which is um, taking over a lot of the coastlands. And so by harvesting some of that, we're engaging in the work of ecological restoration and also applying it in a practical way um, towards an artistic end. Yeah. Gaining inspiration and, and, and hand-making arts and crafts. I'm really excited to learn about um, using all of these things. I'm excited to learn about the, the, the rocks and soils and uh, good ecologically sustainable ways of, of using them and, and harvesting them, uh, but especially love the use of you know, invasives, non-native invasives, uh, and the idea that we could get something really practical um, from oxalis is a wonderful thing because it's definitely, um, it's very successful here, shall we say. Uh, <laughs> and it's tasty as well. It's a lovely lemony flavor, but it will be fun to you learn to use it as a pigment. Where can people find out about your upcoming workshops and offerings and follow along about announcement information on the book and the press, that kind of information, Melody? Some of that can be found on my website at www.melodyoverstreet.com. Some of that will be forthcoming on reciprocalfield.com, which is where announcements about the book, et cetera, will be shared. Okay. And just to sort of finish up um, and, and pull the conversation, which has been a wonderful one and um, very diverse in our subject matter, kind of full circle. When you think about the work that you're doing in terms of teaching other people about this kind of consciousness and and thinking and these kind of acts of faith, maybe I would put it, and you think about your grandfather and you think about the indigenous peoples on whose land um, we are building lives with them now. And, you know, like the, the teaching of Rowan White and her seed work. And you have touched on this absolutely throughout the interview. But when you put all of those different tributaries, as you referred to them, together, and you think about the future, what what do you see as the greatest hope in this kind of work? Hmm. Well, hope for me is really, in a sense, quite pragmatic. Um, I love to think that where we direct our life energy accumulates and If we liberate our labor to the best extent that we can and we ask hard, uncomfortable questions of ourselves and of the times that we're in um, and engage with as much honesty as we can muster, I think there's a very hopeful spirit in me. I do feel a great presence that's ongoing from the teachings of my grandfather and grandparents, just as lovely elders as I think that many grandparents can be. And I think about the great potential that is in education um, to transform any consciousness as my own consciousness has been transformed many times. Mm. It, it really excites me for what 
is possible in a world if we do the work of engaging and showing up. And it is a, a big leap of faith. Um, but for me, there's no other work to really devote myself to. Thank you for being a guest today on the program, Melody. It has been an honor to speak with you, and I look forward to following all of your artistic pathways. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for having me on your show. It is such an honor to connect with you and speak with you. Thank you. Melody Overstreet is an Iranian-American poet, artist, printer, and educator. She double majored in studio art and psychology at the University of California, Santa Cruz, where she focused on printmaking, public art, and peace studies. She's exhibited her work locally as well as internationally. She was instrumental in initiating Santa Monica College's Organic Learning Garden, a space for cross-curricular engagement, the hands-on growing of food, seed saving, and community building. Melody will be on the campus of California State University, Chico, on Saturday, May 26th, to teach a workshop on naturally crafted, locally sourced pigments for the Friends of the Chico State Herbarium. For more information on registration, please see today's episode notes at cultivatingplace.com. And while you're there, subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a conversation. Melody teaches book arts, mentors to students, and serves as advisor to garden, environmental, and community involvement committees. She's a master gardener of California and a certified California naturalist through the UC California Naturalist Program and UCSC's Arboretum. She's worked with her students and colleagues to develop a rooftop garden featuring edible, medicinal, and dye plants for deepening consciousness of the ways in which plants and their pollinators are interwoven in and sustain our tenuous lives. Join us again next week as the conversations continue on the many ways that people engage in and grow from the cultivation of their places. Cultivating Place is a listener-supported co-production of North State Public Radio. The program is made possible in part by California Public Broadcasting and you. Our producer is Sarah Bohannon. Our original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.